Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Growing Up 8 podcast. I'm your host, David Youngblood. In today's episode, we talk about forgiveness and accidents. The episode is entitled, Grace. Playing football once in an empty lot next to our home in Port Arthur, I tackled my brother Tom, who was rushing to score a touchdown across the browning and dry lot that was our field of dreams. He landed awkwardly with me on top of him, his right shoulder bearing much of the brunt of the fall. Immediately after bouncing off of him and feeling elated by my perfect execution of a textbook tackle, I realized something was wrong. I had heard a strange popping sound. That sound was the bone in my brother's arm breaking. I had ended the golden part of summer for him and for me, that part where you can find yourself in the unthinking zone of childhood, where every action-filled moment stretches into the next without much effort, but with much joy. For the next six weeks, Tom enjoyed a cast and sling while I enjoyed continuous replays of the event in my head, hoping each time that I could nudge him to a softer, less painful landing. By summer's end, he never looked he never loved me less for my transgression, and we were back playing football. We never spoke again of my crime against his arm, but to this day I continue to enjoy the grace of his forgiveness that blistering summer day. Much of what we receive in life from those who love us is undeserved and often unlooked for. Whether it's a helping hand up in a time of need or a thank you received for something long forgotten, grace is the ingredient that forms the stickiness to any relationship. It is the mortar holding up the wall of love. At the heart of grace is the idea of forgiveness and the recognition that all of us make mistakes, and likewise, all of us are certain to need forgiveness in any and all relationships. The ancient church used as an art as a means of instruction as well as a demonstration of devotion. To walk into an older cathedral is to take in the presence of the history of the faith through the stained glass, the iconography, the statues that represent moments of faith and of the divine connection between man and God. The practice goes back to the ancient church and the small relics and symbols that helped bind a community together and helped identify the shared experience of a belief system. It served for many of the participants as a common link that cut across language and ritual. Growing up, I remember sitting beneath a print of a painting of a gray-headed man seated at a table adorned with a few items, a simple bowl and knife, a small uncut loaf of bread, and a distinct holy book. He wears a worn green jacket, his hands clasped, fingers interlocking, and pressed to his forehead, a forehead whose wrinkled brow suggests an earnest concentration. It is clear, and was clear to all of us sitting beneath this painting, that he is saying a silent prayer over his daily bread. He was a constant reminder to me and to all of us of the need to give thanks daily for all that comes within our scope, both welcome and unwelcome. He stayed a part of our kitchen and home for many years, as I'm sure he did for thousands of other families. As a teacher, after many years in the classroom, I encountered this portrait of grace again in a neighboring teacher's classroom. Even today, it serves as a reminder of the necessity of grace in all that we do. The print we could not help but see before and during our meals was from a photograph taken by Eric Enstrom in the 1920s or so. The story is that the subject was a simple peddler who lived in a sod hut. The state of Minnesota would later name it the state's official photograph. None of this history did we know much of or care about. This simple figure represented the lesson of gratitude. 
With every meal we would eat in the drop-leaf table, he was there to oversee and remind us of the grace which should precede every repast. When we and when those around us fall and fail, we must offer and be given a chance for redemption and restoration. The first car accident I was involved in was with my brother Mike driving. He was proceeding through a stop sign and was swiping by a speeding car who ran his. The police officer who showed up issued Mike the ticket, though on explaining it when he got home, Dad decided to visit the crime scene. Taking a few measurements and using pure physics, he calculated the impossibility and unfairness of the officer's premature determination. Mike was relieved, and later the judge would agree. All I could remember from the accident was the look on two faces as time slowed down in front of me, gazing through the passenger window of the station wagon. The first face was of the other driver, also a kid, but rougher looking, with wild yet uncaring eyes, determined that the space was his. And the second face was of my brother, underwater and swimming to the surface, pulling every possibility from his teenage head of how to avoid the unmerciful collision of the two cars and somehow get out of things without damage to anyone. It was the look my own face wore as I fell on my brother many years before. The next accident I was involved in was my own. I had not been uh, that long behind a, a wheel when on a Saturday morning I was enjoying my newfound freedom as a driver and had the rare chance to take old Betsy, the name I chose for old mama's Volkswagen, out for a ride to do nothing but enjoy the time alone as a driver in control of my car. I was not careless, but I was perhaps a, too, a bit too intentional looking left, then right, then left again at a stop sign, hesitating just to be sure, but apparently not moving fast enough for the driver behind me, who was timing his California roll and miscalculated my new driver hesitation. He crashed into the rear of the car, where the engine was housed and which was guarded by a single triple chrome bumper. The bumper was bent inward, the first blemish on our inherited relic from old papa. Fearing that old Betsy had been desecrated and I was the one responsible for destroying this icon, I tried to calm myself as I pulled into the driveway lined by newly planted crepe myrtles. How would I manage to let my parents know that I had let them and everyone down? The painting of grace protecting and overlooking our kitchen nook rested against the kitchen wallpaper in the Cypresswood house in spring. The wallpaper itself was in severe need of updating from the obvious poor taste of the previous owner. And so, as one of the many times they would work together to repair, refurbish, and refurnish the homes we lived in, my parents undertook the task of stripping and replacing the existing wall cover with something more stylish. The project called for detail and near perfection, especially since the wallpaper chosen had a linear vertical pattern running through it. And also especially since the house we lived in, like most new houses, wasn't perfectly plumb. When I entered the house, the old gray man's eyes in the painting stayed shut and unseeing. Mine, not so much. I found myself walking into a storm, but not a storm created by my accident. This was be the first and the only time I witnessed my two parents not in patient love with one another. The patient love that we had always seen and grown accustomed to but rather they were embroiled in an argument, and it was anything but patient. There was no yielding from either one regarding their respective positions about how best to hang the wallpaper. What was most in conflict, perhaps, was the artist's eye conflicting with the engineer's eye. 
Both were seeing an aesthetic the other was blind to. Both were certain that their own position was correct, and both were sure to take my news of an accident like a detonation of a lightning strike. I was sure to be the target. I entered through the back door that opened into a laundry room in a state of near panic. I quickly exited the laundry room and returned to the VW, walking around to the back where I tried with all my might to pull back into place the bent fender and restore the wounded car. Pull as I might, the physics of the situation were against me. My 135-pound body was not enough of a force to restore to pristine shape the V-shaped wedge of the metal bumper. Though it wasn't at all clear to me as I struggled against the metal fender, I would be forgiven. Dad and Mom must have seen through the kitchen window, and putting aside whatever storm embroiled them, they both came out to listen and to console. Like many of our transgressions in life, this accident was forgiven, and all but forgotten, and grace, as it most often does, found a way to be the balm to heal the wounds of time and chance. Likewise, my parents' anger with one another would melt into concern and care and forgiveness. Today, when we gather as a group to enjoy the day, the celebration, the season, or whatever it is that brings us together, we often will begin the meal holding hands with one another and listening to our own graying patriarch give up his grace. His message is almost always the same. The necessity of love, especially of loving your neighbor, your brother, your sister, your spouse, the stranger on the street, and the responsibility of offering forgiveness as the necessary component to love. As he delivers his words next to him, holding his hand, his mom, who, despite the wallpaper, is his partner and his heart, just as he is hers.